Welcome to the holiday episode of High Level Casting. I'm here with, uh, I'm Jeremy, and I'm here, and uh, I'm here with my lovely co-hosts. Introduce yourselves, uh, sound off, I don't care whose order it is. Happy holidays, everyone. It's me, your friends, Ethan. Um, my halls are decked, and I am jingling my jangles as hard as I can. Uh, here's Doug to bring a little <laughs> holiday magic to high level casting. I'm Holly. I'm still recovering from what Ethan said. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We've watched four uh, holiday movies because, you know, one isn't enough for the season. And even if we, uh, did this again next year, we'd still have plenty to go by. And so we start getting into the, into the deep dives. So uh, to kind of give the rundown in order, sound off your movie and uh, let us know what we'll be talking about. So I'm first. So I watched. All right. Listen. The first. (laughs) (laughs) The first movie that I watched was a Netflix animated special called Klaus, which was made 2019. Very highly acclaimed. Well liked. Um, It was, you know charming i really enjoyed it highly recommend but i just didn't really feel i felt sort of like that was cheating i think that what we really wanted out of this episode was you know to discuss our deep dark christmas favorites and my deep dark christmas favorite is uh jim carrey's grinch so what i did for this episode was watch the other two grinches that are not jim carrey's grinch because i've already watched jim carrey's grinch several times this year not during the month of december oh wow that's dedication. dedication. Yeah. Wow. I am I also love Jim Carrey's The Grinch, so I'm excited to to dive into this. I have like a personal a personal bias in favor of Jim Carrey's Grinch, obviously, but I tried to give everyone an equal footing when I when I rewatched the other two. So just as a recap, we have the animated Grinch the original first animated Grinch from 1966, which was a half-hour TV special. We have Jim Carrey's Grinch, which was made in 2000. Uh, that was a live-action Grinch. And then in 2018, there was the animated feature-length Grinch featuring Benedict Cumberbatch as the voice of the Grinch, made by Illumination, the studio that made Every the Minions minion. movies. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that happened at all. Well, it sure did, and we're here to talk about it. So let's just do, you know, quick pros. I don't really have any cons. They're all great. You know, The Grinch is a classic anti-capitalist holiday narrative, and I am here for it. So the 1966 Grinch, short, half an hour long. You want to do, you want to watch a Christmas movie to fulfill your holiday needs, but you don't want to waste uh, one to two hours of your life doing that. Then you can just watch a Christmas classic, which is 
1966 Grinch, which is narrated by Boris Karloff. I think that that's an important thing to know. I did not realize that. Yes, right. narrated and Amazing. voiced by Boris Karloff. I was going to say, I, I knew he had some involvement, but I, I couldn't remember if he was the Grinch or if he uh, if he was the dog. He's I, the OG. He's the, the Grinch, the titular Grinch. I never could have named Upon the... You know the voice actor and narrator of that of that, but I, like most of America, I'm pretty sure you can conjure that man's voice in your brain whenever the you know the key songs start playing. That is another bonus of the '66 Grinch. Is it m at least fifty percent of the content of that movie is just several verses of "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch," which is possibly the best Christmas song ever written. It's and pretty it's, close, yeah. It's sung in an astonishingly memorable and fantastic <laughs> way that that no one can turn down when they hear it maybe people can but fuck those people so it's it's a jingle jangin banger it is a banger That's it's a christmas right. banger uh so those are the those are the pluses of 66 grinch it's short it has boris karloff in it it features primarily all of the verses of your mean one mr grinch and it's the only one that was made with Dr. Seuss's involvement. So it has the Dr. Seuss stamp of approval. Um, all right. 2000 Grinch. It has Jim Carrey in it. That's it. No, that's not true. Uh, it has great. You can't see me clapping. <laughs> that's it. That's all you need. Yeah. Late, no, I mean, late stage Carrie. Late stage Carrie. He's really. really the only actor who could do justice to the Grinch. And he wears, you know, 80 hours worth of makeup to be to be that character <laughs> i love and this you can man. still just really see his face it's right there under all of the many many layers of prosthetics and green paint and fake hair um it's it's really jim carrey down to the core he was made to play that role so jim carrey in his finest hour it has excellent practical effects it's really astonishing to attempt to make a dr seuss narrative in real life and i feel like that is an astonishing feat and they did an excellent job all of the all of the actors in that movie wear colossal amounts of practical effects to get them to look like who's and they really do and they they work it so that's great um the other great bonus of the 2000 grinch is that it's uh nightmarish and yeah on this podcast we love, <laughs> love movies that are unintentionally horror films uh, and that is really what the the 2000 grinch is to me it's it's the, a movie that was made to be heartwarming and really strikes fear in the heart. I would say the aesthetic filth of like the Grinch himself and uh, like his his lair, his Grinch home. Uh, I always remember Mount like yeah, <laughs> Mount Crumpet. Burning in my mind is when he's eating a raw onion like an apple and spitting the pieces out. I will never forget that image. And it's so it's alluring to me and how disgusting it is. There's another oh. good one where he eats a glass bottle. I yes, yeah. <laughs> Just chomping on it. Chew the glass. The cherry on top of the character <laughs> Chew the glass. Yes. Oh, God. I, I admittedly, I've only seen this uh, movie like in like 10 minute snippets in syndication, like when it was on TV for the holidays. I haven't ever actually sat down and watched it all the way through, but. I had, I had grown up on the uh, original mm -hmm. uh, Grinch animated film, so I never had that drive to do it, but I don't know. It, this, this film is going to be, like, clearly, 
like the film that they grow up on. So for for a new audience, so I don't. Know. I, well, I think I, that the 2018 Grinch might might really be the new the new audience Grinch. It was made. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, well, it was made with sort of children with millennial parents in mind. It's definitely mm. full of millennial jokes oh fantastic oh no i, I don't the... know <laughs> do any of them um, involve uh like trying to get a job during a recession um oof Ooh. just saying i didn't notice one but that's a good i'll you know happy holidays we will i will make all of you watch 2018 grinch and we can each take note of every embarrassing millennial heavy-handed joke and then we can look into that at the end of the episode yeah we can look into that next year did so, they use the same technology uh to render the grinch that they did uh smaug in the hobbit i think they just used the shitty like cg clay that they made the minions <laughs> out of i will I say that it. the grinch has a lot of hair he's like a furry he's individual totally, and he does right. each of his hairs is lovingly rendered right good um, just like donkey from shrek exactly precisely <laughs> actually the other day i read on reddit somewhere that in the movie shrek they had to use uh digital hair texture for the grass because for some reason they couldn't get their grass texture to look like grass. So all of the grass in Shrek is hair. <laughs> you know what? That really yeah, that really fits the fantasy I had. Think in my on mind. that. Just oh, just man. chew on that one over the holiday. Anyway, okay. So twenty eighteen grass on the fields. Watch Shrek. Okay. Sorry. Twenty eighteen Grinch. Really heavy handed millennial jokes. It has a very project management focus the grinch of of the 2018 illumination yeah. christmas is he really lays it out for you all of the steps he's very he's more of an mm. inspector gadget grinch whereas the jim carrey grinch is more like a like a trash eating hobgoblin <laughs> with ptsd i think you mean king yeah but okay but really yeah. the, the the most important part of the 2018 grinch is that it has a soundtrack that was made by Tyler, the creator. What? What? <laughs> I knew this. Yes, I knew this. Okay. Okay, now I want to watch it. Holy shit. It's unfortunately not the whole movie. There's just right. sort of a couple of key points. But Tyler, the creator, did release an entire EP that is entitled Music Inspired by 2018, The Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, hell yeah. And the I opener and the on. closer, both Tyler, the creator. Excellent. Is it all B-sides from Goblin? Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's the vibe. Imagine a children's Christmas film. Oh, it's so dark. <laughs> with the vibe of Tyler the Creator's Goblin. <laughs> and that is Illumination's uh, 2018 Grinch. Wow. What? It's not. But you can imagine that it is when you listen to Tyler the Creator sing bits and pieces of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, which is also a song that he was made to sing. Yeah, he does have that. He's got that rasp that works for it. I will say that the experience of watching all of these, I didn't watch all of them back to back, but but consuming all of the Grinch media that I could consume visually with my eyes and ears was it was it's fascinating the way that they treat the Grinch in different eras of his manifestation, because the 66 Grinch is just sort of like a hermit with a glandular problem that prevents him from feeling joy and Right. Also, he has like a noise sensitivity. A lot of his complaints about Christmas have to do with the amount of sound that's being made. But then in the end, it's the sound of joy that cures him. 
Um, 2000 Grinch, as I mentioned, has hardcore PTSD. From <laughs> yeah. Heavily you watch bullied. The trauma. You watch it. And it's yeah, he's extremely up. traumatized. <laughs> and um, 2018 Grinch is more just sort of like erudite and depressed. His backstory is that he was an orphan and he lived alone in an orphanage with no adult supervision, apparently. So he never experienced Jesus. Christmas and he just fucked off to Mount Crumpet because he was lonely and sad and sort of banished himself. So he's an alt boy from LA. Like, oh, big time. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's he writes, got... There are a lot of scenes where he, like, sadly and dramatically plays the pipe organ alone oh, in his yes. in his Grinch lair. If you like the Grinch lair in 2000 Grinch, Ethan, you'll love 2018 Uh-oh. Grinch because they really they really delve into the the world building of what it's like to live inside That's the what I want. house. Yeah. I, want, <laughs> I need get to that. know what it's like <laughs> to be that. in his house. All these movies have great world building because Dr. Seuss is champion number one world builder in my mind. Um, but I think that both 2000 Grinch and 2018 Grinch do a great job of developing those worlds visually in very different ways. Mm-hmm. I think that the 2018 Grinch really leans into the sort of like all the houses look like gingerbread houses and everybody, you know, rides a jet ski and that sort of thing. And 2000 Grinch is obviously like, you're just sort of like, wow, everything's really tall. Like everybody looks yeah. really lumpy and weird. <laughs> kind of amazing. So they're just very different experiences visually. And I think the other, the, the other primary character of the Grinch is Cindy Lou Who, who's like a white savior child who <laughs> rescues the Grinch from his narcissistic uh, depressive coping mechanisms. So in 66 Grinch and also in the book, she's just like a, a she's two, she's a toddler mm-hmm. who confronts the Grinch. In 2000 Grinch, she's sort of, she's a little older. She must be like, I don't know, like six. Um, and she's more of like a, a meddlesome do-gooder who hikes all the way up to the Grinch's house and demands that he participate in their Christmas celebrations. 2018 Grinch is I guess like a like a tomboy gangster child who has a single awesome. mom and she all she wants for Christmas is for Santa to like rescue her mom from single momhood not by becoming her stepdad or yeah, whatever damn. just by it's, it's not clear she's just sort of like you're Santa you can do anything make my mom happy and rescue her from having to work the graveyard shift and then take care of three children all by herself curious okay so make themes. what you will of that. 2000 Grinch, Cindy Lou Who has like a, a whole family, which is unique for children's movies. There are not a lot of children's movie protagonists who have like a wholesome parenting setup. But Cindy Lou Who in Jim Carrey's Grinch has two very loving and doting parents who provide a supportive environment. Whereas Jim Carrey Grinch had like two very... uh emotionally manipulative adoptive moms who i don't right. know ruined whole, him <laughs> his whole biddies yeah it's there's so much darkness like you, you have a lot of talk about movies where oh when you watch you go back and watch it and all these things pop out but like i think even when i watched as a child that the the 2000 grinch movie is there's a lot of darkness in it and like cruelty that's very uncomforting yeah it's um, very violent it's emotionally and physically violent. Yeah, um, it's it's weird, but I also I also like the movie a lot. Um, Probably so, because it's emotionally manipulative and violent. Yeah, well, you get to see the Grinch sort of retaliate in a in a sense. 
and that's and you feel for him you feel supportive of his retaliatory action because all the who's were dicks to him which is not the case in the 2018 Grinch. It seems more like a cry for help. I mean, all, in all of these movies, it's a cry for help, but it's like very apparent in 2018 Grinch that Benedict Cumberbatch is just sad and lonely and wants friends, but doesn't have any social skills. No. He just lives in his neckbeard nest and plays does his he, pipe organ. Does he still have the dog? Does he have the dog? In yeah, the, the dog is movie? pretty much the same through all three of the movies. He's got he the looks the horn. same. Constant, yeah. yeah, he has the horn. He has the same sort of brownish design mutt, mutt look yeah yeah just Little sort of beauty. like a like a sausage shaped dog who is very devoted to the grinch for some reason he's he uh he has more personality in the 2018 grinch because he's not like played by a real dog which you know limits the amount of expression that a that that character can do but i think he's given increasingly more agency over the course of the, of time so yeah, I don't know. What's my recommendation? Um, watch them all. Watch them all in chronological order and then think on the nature of capitalism and how ironic it is that we have three iterations of The Grinch, a movie about how you don't need stuff and things that are Christmas-themed in order to remember what Christmas is about. Yeah, we'll definitely like touch on that more with uh, with my flick. But but seriously, what is like the moral of The Grinch, really? If we're gonna like break the film down right, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. That's it. <laughs> the moral of the Grinch is invite your sad, lonely neighbor to dinner because that's what he wants, even if he's mean to you. Because when he's mean to you, it means that he doesn't know how to ask you to welcome him to Christmas dinner. It means he's playing hard to get. It means he's been eating glass bottles and onions for 20 to 40 years. <laughs> This, and he uh, would really love to eat something else. So maybe yeah. brush his teeth before he comes the over. The key signifier here is, does he have an adorable dog that that clearly signifies that he can care for another being in a way? Like, oh, okay, if he's got the dog, like, he, he can at least be tolerable. That's cool. Because my theory, like, just hearing about it, like, in all three iterations, that, you know, this dog isn't like a, isn't a dog with a pedigree, right? Like, so the Grinch, you know, theory time, probably, like, found this pup on the side of the road and was like, hey, you're mine now, because I was, I was kicked out, too. Two and losers so, just making it in the world. That's right. right. Like, how did he get this dog? They found each other, man. In the so. 2000 Grinch, I think that part of the world building is that the trash chute in Whoville goes directly into his house. Oh, no. So that's probably that's right. how he got All right. it. Oh, yeah. no. Somebody Epic, threw Max in the trash and he ended Epic up in Epic Game Crumpet. Theory, Max was a Christmas puppy that Yo, around Valentine's oh, Day, they realized we can't afford this anymore, threw him in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Where'd he end up? The Grinch is layered. He's starting to get a little big. He's starting to chew on the furniture. We can't have this. So. To be honest, the the Max character from 66 Grinch seems like openly abused. Definitely not right. treated with yeah, any affection yeah. by the Grinch. <laughs> but um, 2000 and 2018, Max gets... He's a comrade. He gets progressively more... Uh, he becomes less of a... Like a... Stockholm Syndrome right. indentured servant and more of like a, a roommate who has had to 
pick up the pieces many times when we quantum leap the grinch like you know a fourth time like he's going to be like actively participating in the family right like he's gonna be i think the next iteration of the grinch the grinch will like have a therapist it'll be like the grinch goes to therapy oh no (laughs) and it's like the lorax no it's grinch origins and it's going to be like what is a grinch is it like a frost elemental um you know you know i don't know I, I think in 2000 Grinch, the Grinch is like I, they they explain where he came from and the story. Yeah, is basically like, yeah, he comes off another snowflake. All the whatever, who's right? are like delivered like, in baskets with little story. umbrellas on top that like fall out of the sky, and the Grinch came in yeah. like a ratty umbrella in a basket full of trash. So nobody else talks about how the Grinch was born or why. Right, he's green. like why? Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. a that's a big question. Is like why is he green? You know, and why he's is green he because up? he's filled with hate. He has too much bile. His humors are imbalanced because his heart is too small. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing. He's He's bilious. The envy, the true envy. That's his legal name. Bilious Grinch. Biliary flask. Uh, I'm curious to see how Grinchitude develops across these films. Define Grinchitude. Right? The notion of, like, how are you grumpy? Like, what? Again, you talked about the differences between... Benedict Cumbergrinch and Grinch <laughs> Carey. And how, like, one of them is clearly traumatized by, like, this interpersonal thing, while the other one has some, like, nebulous, right, like, depression, you know? How does that reflect, like, a reaction to the stage of capital that the Grinch <laughs> is, is taking place in? I'm curious to see. So, I have not seen the latest Grinch. Um, I love the other two, so I might have to... I think Grinch 2018 Grinch, like all the. It seems like a very smooth, yeah, like lactic movie. He, <laughs> you just, know, like he a, just feels very alienated. Alienated. You know, ostracized. He just, he just feels uh, the, like dissociated from the community because he can't, hmm. he can't fathom the need to engage with capitalism or he feels that he projects his own sense of alienation onto the capitalist experience of Christmas because he doesn't understand that Christmas is anything other than capitalism because he didn't have a community to show him that. Sad, right. He can't have class consciousness because there's only one Grinch. Um, Yeah, what what class is the Grinch? There's no solidarity with the Grinch. Grinch. (laughs) He is a class unto himself. He is Grinch. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. He's an untouchable. I mean, I think that the Grinch, the 2000 Grinch, and the 2018 Grinch are two different classes. If you think about, mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want to impose classism, one on literally lives off trash. Yeah, one of them eats. He <laughs> yeah. lives in a garbage dump and eats trash, and the other one has like a fully functioning pipe organ and like a workshop and a and a mechanical engineering. Yeah. Much more Phantom of the Opera Phantom. <laughs> yeah, he's an incel. He's an incel. <laughs> Shit. He is a well-to-do incel, yes. So basically, it's like Joker uh, 2019 or whatever. That's why he's green. Grinch. That's what I want. I want a edgy Grinch reimagining in the solved it. Joker. Yeah. Mystery demystified. Case closed. Grinch uh, swollen. Grinched. His heart Christ. is swollen now. <laughs> All right. No, moving on. We're done Pause. with this. Uh, what'd you watch, right. Ethan? So, uh, submitted for the approval of the Christmas Society. Um, 
I decided what makes a Christmas movie. There's a lot of discourse here. And I decided to go to the core of it. We need to talk about the big man himself, uh, Father Jesus Noel. Christ. No, oh. Santa Claus. Oh. oh, damn. Okay. Who might be a Christ allegory. We don't know. But anyway, there's lots of choices. Uh, I feel films. like we do know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, you know what? We'll get into it. We'll get into it. We have a lot of choices. Like, you know, Holly, you watch Claws. There is the new sexy Kurt Russell Santa Claus out. There's mm-hmm. lots of different Santa myth Christmas movies. But I went back to one that's near and dear to my heart. 1994's The Santa Claus. Uh, Santa Claus the Claus, not Santa Claus the person. Starring um, then national sweetheart Tim Allen. Tim the Toolman Taylor. Um, you know, I'll just read the Amazon, uh, description real quick. Santa Claus, four and a half stars, comedy, comma, kids, a bizarre twist of fate transforms a divorced dad into the new Santa. In the Santa Claus, we learn that Santa is not himself a person. Santa is actually an ancient curse that falls upon individuals in succession where they are transformed into a being who is then morally compelled to deliver presents to children. Uh, we start with Scott Calvin, uh, played by Tim Allen. Um, he is a divorced father, and this is very important. Um, it is uh, the worst thing that could happen to a father in the 90s. Yes, we'll get into that like um, <laughs> later. So he's, yeah, yeah, he's... He's uh, removed from his family. He still, like, wants to see his kid, but he's also kind of reverted back to, like, that cool bachelor thing. Um, he's very Tim Allen. He's got all the Tim Allen quirks that I really appreciate now. Like, he grunts continuously through the movie. Um, he's always making really, like, kind of mean jokes, but also kind of funny. He's very, like, he and his ex-wife has this, have this incredibly contemptuous relationship with one another. But it's not like hatred. It's like teenage siblings, like uh, like a teenage brother and sister snarking at each other. Well, um, I can imagine why that marriage didn't work out. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and his wife left him and married a Neil, played by Judge Reinhold. Um, oh, very, yeah. Yeah, right. A very, very <laughs> rational, by the books, uh, psychiatrist, which, which, with amazing got, sweaters, by the way. Right, <laughs> amazing sweaters throughout, which, which Tim Toolman Taylor loves to make fun of. Anyway, uh, he's not a very good father right now. He's trying to figure out how to connect with his son, um, but he gets to see his kid for Christmas Eve, and he wants his him to be excited for Santa, even though he's like doing really shitty dad things here. Uh, he burns the Christmas turkey, so they have to go to Denny's, which is great because they get sat not with the like loud Japanese businessman in the front, but in the back smoking room with all the other divorced dads who burn the turkey for, for Christmas dinner. Um, his kid is not having a good time until uh, when in the night there arose such a clatter. There's a banging on the roof. Tim Allen goes outside to investigate. And guess what? It's really Santa. Guess what? Scott Calvin kind of commits manslaughter by having Santa fall off his roof and, and die. 
In the logic of the movie, this means that he who has removed Santa from the earth must don the mantle and become Santa himself, uh, which he does so reluctantly because he wants to impress his kid. He's trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. This must be some sort of delusion, but the kid is ready to go. Uh, he's like, okay, put on the suit, dad. We're going to be Santa now. And so we see that, in fact, it is real. He gets transported to the North Pole, where we meet a lot of crazy, uh, wacky elves, including Bernard the Elf, who I used to hate as a kid. Um, I watched this movie a lot as a kid, uh, much like Bartok the so-called Magnificent. It has played a, a big role in the development of my psyche. I always hated Bernard the Elf, but I really respect him now. You know what? He's he's the heart. He's the sh the shop steward is, of the of the Elven Union. Is he the one that's played by David Crumholtz? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the ageless. Elven practically ageless. Yes, practically ageless, but still, all the all the elves in this movie are played by children. But they did a really good job of selecting children that uncannily look like adults. Um, and he is an adult Oof, that uncannily looks like a child. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> an entire cast of them. So basically what happens through the movie is that after this first night, Scott Calvin realizes he is now Santa Claus. Through the movie, he is literally in, in a sort of body horror fashion, much like a werewolf, transforming into Santa over time. Uh, he gains a lot of weight. He gains the white beard. But also his heart is changing. He's beginning to believe in, in what he is and what he means to the world. He also At the really same time with cholesterol, which exactly fat exactly fat shaming in this movie. We'll get there. 90s cruel. Uh, at the same time, though, as he is becoming Santa and his son, who was also there, who also knows that this is all real, is very proud of his dad for being Santa. This estranges him from his mom from his not quite stepdad and from society. And so now uh, this becomes a father's rights film as, uh, as judge Reinhold and Tim, the tool man Taylor's ex-wife go to the court and remove his custody rights from his child. Um, one thing that really stuck out to me now watching this movie is how important the divorce theme is in this movie. Like it's not just, the setting for the character the divorce and its ramifications are like the human part of this the plot compared to like the the magic of christmas part um everything uh scott calvin is doing has to do with like trying to navigate this divorce and what it means for his son and like his visitation rights and stuff like that uh and it's really weird uh and Jeremy, we've talked about this before, but the early 90s especially, you see a lot of divorced dad discourse in children's movies, in adult movies. Um, I think maybe Mrs. Doubtfire was like the, the archetype of this. Yeah. The idea of that like dad lost something pursuing his dreams in a career. And now like a he divorced needs to... dad redemption arc. There's, yeah. There's also so many dads that are on the verge of divorce, right? Like they, they're on the cusp of failure. Like exactly. Jingle, jingle all the way where like he, if he fucks up one more time, he's gonna, he's gonna suffer that, that evil fate. Yeah. Bad, so like, bad redemption. 
Bad dad, yes, bad dad, re- bad dad revolver. <laughs> well, I was saying rat because uh, <laughs> it sounds like these are some cool dads. They're cool dads now that they have Christmas powers. So, yeah. what the cultural logic we're seeing here is like for American white, like heteronormative masculinity, you have to make the choice of like pursuing the career or developing a family, and pursuing a career like making quote unquote success estranges you from the family and we're looking at men who have faced that choice and have lost something and are trying to earn it back can only really earn it back through the magic of christmas literally in the case of tim allen as he hideously transforms into santa claus this presents a nightmarish situation for me in the film bernard the head elf the uh, the union's shop steward of of santa's workshop outlines the santa claus that he agreed to in in killing santa a clause as in the last line of a contract you got the card okay look the santa claus and putting on the suit and entering the sleigh the wearer waves any and all rights to any previous identity real or implied and fully accepts the duties and responsibilities of santa claus in perpetuity until such time that where becomes unable to do so by either accident or design. What does that mean? It means you put on the suit, you're the big guy. And in becoming Santa Claus, you reject all humanity you had before. Right. This is not a Hulk Hogan, Terry Belia situation. <laughs> Scott Calvin fucking died. Santa Claus took his place. And at the beginning, Scott Calvin disagrees with this he wants to be scott calvin he wants to have his job he wants to be able to make sexual harassment jokes at the company christmas eve party he wants to be like that guy as he becomes santa he loses all of that identity he stops making tim allen jokes about 75 percent through the movie and is just like a very sweet jolly man yeah yeah the wholesomeness takes over he rejects anything that made him like We talk about what makes a man, right? And the person we see at the end of the movie and the person we see at the beginning, or, yeah, person at the beginning, person at the end are completely different. Scott Calvin is gone, and and Chris Kringle has risen from the ashes. Um, The one connecting line being his love for his son specifically, right? Okay, but wait, if he has to reject his humanity, then he's no longer a father. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Rejects his father. That's a a theme. That's a theme, right? There is a very strange scene at the end of the movie. So he can't see his son anymore, right? The papers, the judge, there's a court-ordered, like, restriction. He has no custody rights. He has no visitation rights. Right after this, Santa visits his ex-wife's house with the son and kidnaps him. Because Bernard the Head Elf says, I don't see a problem with it. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's what I'm like, King. But, okay, eventually he realizes this is not a good thing. You know, as cops, like, this is a very, like, weird Blue Lives Matter movie where we see, like, multiple SWAT situations them of them trying to hunt Santa. Eventually he realizes, like, okay, you're right. Charlie needs to, I need to give him back so we can fix this relationship. They're having a tearful goodbye. The kid is crying, saying, I don't want to leave. And he's hugging his father, and he says, I love you, Santa Claus. 
Not I love you, Dad. I love you, Santa Claus. Jesus, I never realized that. But he which, knows, does that mean he knows that his dad is dead? And San, now there's only Santa? There is which, no dad, only Santa. <laughs> Santa says, I love you, son. So that it's there's a sliver there. A sliver. Hmm. But as we see in the future movies, he just gives up being a human altogether and lives at the North Pole full time. Yeah, he anyway. becomes full magical being, yeah. We, get, we need to talk a little bit about Neil, the boyfriend of the ex-wife, who's like a psychiatrist. Kind of low-key fuck, Neil. Um, Judge Reinhold, you're okay. Neil, fuck off. Anyway. This is a fuck he, Neil podcast. <laughs> he, is, he, is, he is gaslighting not only Charlie, the kid, he's gaslighting the ex-wife. And he's like telling them, Clearly, this is an abusive situation. He's projecting these Santa Claus delusions on your son. We need to get him away from your father or from his father. Anyway, uh, he tells Charlie that he'd make an excellent psychiatrist someday to which Charlie in a perfect you're not my real dad moment says, nah, I think I'm going to go into the family business as he watches Santa's sleigh fly away. Cute, right? However... If you remember, the only way to get a new Santa is to kill the old one. Oh, shit. So much in the ideal Klingon tradition, <laughs> must kill his father and take his place in the hierarchy. So that's something I've been wondering this whole time. I, earlier on, we are, you had told us that the, the Santa Claus is a curse, but it sounds like it's, it's a, a power that is only attained by defeating the... A previous wielder of said it, power. In a lot of ways, it's like the Highlander. So, mm-hmm. but if you remember the end of the Highlander, right? He gains. He gains all <laughs> the knowledge. So, right? Highlander becomes a living god, and in doing so, sort of eschews his humanity. So that's the choice, right? Mm-hmm. Is it really worth it to be a god? Will you give up your love, your relationships, your your intimate human connections? In pursuit of unlimited jingle bell themed power. Yes. And that's the question that the Santa Claus 1994 asks. Okay, so I got a deep cut here, all right? So, like, as you were talking about, you know, the magic of Santa Claus and the power is passing, all I hear is that uh, a philanthropist to be the true, like, top-level philanthropist, the giver of givers, it is truly just indentured servitude. In a sense, yes. Yeah, yeah. he is. Like, he has a duty he must fulfill, you right? You must give up yourself. You must give up your identity if you are going to give back. Like, if you... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he does have a choice, but as Bernard says, like, if you don't be Santa, you're going to disappoint every kid in the world, right? And so... I think at first he doesn't really care about any child but his right. his own kid. But we see that love of, like, humanity's children, like, develop through the film. And that's the question, right? Is it the magic that he has inherited, you know, through mm-hmm. Santicide? Or is it, is it the, or is he... Kringle side, thank you. Kringle side. Or is it he himself undergoing the change? Like, is this... Is this a willing change of himself, right? Like It is not a willing change. As we see, like he right. 
he puts on the weight in the awkward fat phobia scene where like yep. he wakes up and realizes he's got like a beer belly now and he freaks out and then he goes to work and like everybody shames him for it. He steps on a scale and he weighs how much was it? It's a 192 pounds. Shame. Which is Shame. less than I weigh. I was gonna say, I uh <laughs> right? I'm and above I don't that. think I don't think Tim Allen's very tall. So like he's he's sporting like a 220, 240 figure, and right. like the scale's yelling at him like, dude, you're at 190. You gotta like re- like, you know, rethink your life choices at this point. So Some I really days. wonder. How many people right. were like messed with in that? I that was. Moment. He is not choosing this, but eventually, like either through transformation or he accepts what he is, he decides that yes, I am truly Santa Claus, and and I accept every like as we see this movie spawned a trilogy spanning like a decade, and so in the second one, he is doesn't have like a human life. He just right. lives full time at the North Pole, and he's like number one Santa. Like he has he, rejected his The kid. whole point is like, he has to find a spouse that will also right? give up her identity in the yes. process of this, you know, sanctification. Yeah, there is a Mrs. Clause that states that if he is not in a, like, legally, culturally recognized heteronormative uh, wedding with a woman, then, like, he can't be Santa anymore. This is a super weird film series. <laughs> In the third he, one, in the yeah. third one, Martin Short is like a freaked out Jack Frost. That's all I remember. That's right. Fucking right. Fucking weird. I will say, so again, um, this is a movie that was like I watched over and over again as a kid. Uh rewatching it, I noted like it is a very I really like this movie. Um as you said, Jeremy, it's fucking weird. There is like, like it I is still a, love it. Like, but I, you notice yeah, things yeah. as an adult. It's like, so weird. Like the the Elven Liberation Squad. It's like this paramilitary. Oh my god, I forgot about society. that. Yeah. Um, we're like the good he- guys. Like heavyweights, it has a lot of like adult humor in it. You know, like it has that weird. Uh, atmosphere you don't have in children's movies anymore i really appreciate that i think it's really well written um and i uh i don't know it does have a little bit of that magic of christmas in it like the idea of belief and and you know sometimes you just need to believe something because it's beautiful to believe in that's really sweet um, well, uh, yes, the fat phobic heteronormative magic of Christmas. Look, we got to accept a movie for what it is in the time that it is. Well, the um, thing also, the also is we? like Tim Allen's super problematic for a lot of reasons, one of which is like a recent yeah. tweet about him, like, you know, saying that maybe child labor is okay. Yeah, he's kind of, <laughs> look, <laughs> let's make it clear Tim Allen is a piece of shit. He was really cool when he was a cocaine drug runner in the 70s. That's when he peaked. That said, as an actor, he he can evoke the wholesomeness really well. Like he he does he 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 can project dad energy really well. I remember growing up really loving this film and really like appreciating like the father-son relationship and I don't know. I liked it and I liked watching it, it over and over as as a child does. You just Despite watch the same movie its over and over. Very strangely alien characteristics. It is a it, it's a Christmas classic for a reason, I think. Like it, it's, it's great, uh, and you got to choose. Do you want Big Daddy energy or Big Kringle energy? All right, uh, Santa Claus out. Uh, bye bye. Okay. Santa, you killed him. Did not. 
So uh, I'm going to change the tone of this significantly. This is going to be my, my 20 minute hate uh, on the film that I watched. That's that's excessive. I don't hate this movie. I but love this movie. Every, every time I watch this movie, I find more things that uh, just irk me about it. Uh, I am, of course, talking about 2003's Elf, starring Will Ferrell, a uh, John Favreau joint, I believe. So oh, this shit. is this is pre MCU, pre Mandalorian, John Favreau, post Swingers. Yeah, this put him really on the map as far as like like this is like what got him his yeah. his Disney role yep. with Marvel. You know, I mean Marvel first, but then it was bought by Disney, right? And now he's like superstar. But uh, I'm sure many of our listeners have probably seen this movie. But for those uh, uninitiated, the film follows Will Ferrell's character, who, as as a wee child who has been orphaned, climbs into Santa's a bag of presents while he is visiting an orphanage and comes back to the North Pole to realize that my god there is a human child inside of my bag so one of the elves played by Bob Newhart <laughs> uh, elects to raise this human child as, as an elf child Elvin do we go Elvin in this or just We'll say I always like Elfin, Elfin, Elfin. For, for the for the little elves. See, I every time I say Elfin, I think of that guy that dresses like Peter Pan on the internet, Randy mm. Constant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, I have to look that up later. Yes, yes, you will. The human child uh, eventually grows into Will Ferrell, who has been raised by elves. <laughs> Uh, Whom's amongst us has not exactly <laughs> the natural <laughs> part of Will Ferrell human metamorphosis, right? I'm sensing That's a right. theme of like orphans and children from broken homes. It really is not yeah. just divorced dads, but just like abandoned children who don't because those are the only children yeah. who don't understand what Christmas is about or who need a Christmas assistance. Okay. Yeah, they need the Christmas the most, and and we're not even done with like fucked up family stuff in an elf so when he becomes like a 30 year old man or around that age it's decided that we we gotta we gotta tell him the truth he's not an elf well because he's bad at all the elf things exactly right? yeah yeah he can't he can't keep up on his elf quota which there's something to talk about those elf quotas Elves but and labor. He uh, he does. He's not able to construct the etch a sketch as efficiently as the rest of the elves, and they don't. I, I will say this: they don't really like hold it against him. They're they're more shocked than anything. But then it is decided that well, let's let's tell him the truth. He's not he's not really an elf. He's a human. He's a human that was uh, absconded with unintentionally from an orphanage in New York, I think. I don't know. So they tell him, uh, they give him a picture, a black and white photo of James Kahn and some nameless woman and tell him that his dad is in New York City. And he goes to New York City. He walks all the way from the North Pole to New York City and tracks down his dad. Turns out his dad 
is the editor of a uh, publishing house for children's literature. And it turns out he's kind of a dick. Oh, no. He's not He's not all about the holidays. He's not even really all about people. We haven't seen this theme before. And Will Ferrell's character, Buddy. I neglected to give his name earlier, but his name Elf. is Buddy. He, he really tries to, to endear himself to his father, but gosh by golly, he is so conditioned into elf culture, which is very alien to our, mm-hmm. our human culture in that he consumes a lot of sugary things and and his his one source of joy seems to be centered upon the celebration of Christmas. Also labor. And labor, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making toys. Somehow he finds himself uh, with a job at a department store. I don't think he ever actually gets paid. I, th- I think he's just mistaken as uh, an elf at this department store because he's dressed like an elf. He also gets involved with Zoe Deschanel, but like pre-500 days of summer Zoe Deschanel. So I, I think this is pre-manic pixie dream girl. I think she was on the peak. This was like when she was... This part, it was part of her rise to the the manic pixie because this is dream girl fan this is you know. blonde zoe deschanel right this is like de- it's not manic pixie dream girl it's like depressed pixie. yeah she's yeah, like yeah, yeah. she's like disaffected garden state style exactly you know so they somehow form a connection and all the while buddy's still trying to endear himself to his father his father by this point by the time buddy meets him is started a new family because he didn't know that he had a, a son otherwise an elf son an elf son and his his younger son is not as enthusiastic about his father as buddy is in fact at one point he says he's not a very good father there's this whole running theme about believing in santa and that is what gives santa power it gives a slight power i guess oh. Like American gods. Yeah, this exactly. is American yeah, gods. Yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. like Planescape Torment that <laughs> shapes the mythopoeic structure that influences magic in the world. Yeah. Also, the also name- we're talking also, Planescape. Also Santa believe- is the nameless one. He transcends. Oh, uh, see, I thought Santa was the lady of pain. Yeah, she is a lady of pain. <laughs> Sorry. Also, also, many believe equal go juice for the sleigh. Many, many believe, please. <laughs> it's like Tinkerbell. You have to believe in Santa in order for Santa right. to be real. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thoughts, clap, go baby. Thoughts go up, gas goes up, baby. Exactly. Come on. So the, ori- stocks. the original thoughts and prayers was Santa is what we're saying. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So this is uh I feel like this this qualifies as a post 9-11 movie, not just because it was you know, made after 9-11. You cannot escape! You can't escape it. You can't escape it. Uh, the movie takes place in New York City, but it's it's a, a New York City that is... I I don't think there are any shots where the, the Twin Towers would have been. 
<laughs> the I original think... the original cut of Elf had <laughs> it just opened colliding with, with a like... very large skyscraper, but they had to redo it, much like Spider Man. I was gonna say it's like the first Spider Man, the first set to Sam Big City Ramis. downtown. You could say that New York is a character in the film. That's right. As I mentioned earlier, I see this movie. I probably have watched it at least ooh, once a year for the last few years. I I think the first time I saw it, it was a few years after the movie even came out. Like I definitely didn't see it in theaters. I think it came out when I was in middle school still, and I don't think I saw it until I was in high school. And you know, we're it's a movie starring Will Ferrell, but it's it's kind of a kind of an outlier in his films and that he he's very wholesome in this movie he plays a very wholesome character a pathologically wholesome uh, yes right right like toxic positivity yes i i think that is a good way to put it uh, but it, i think the big thing that just perplexes me about the movie every time i watch it is the relationship between Will Ferrell's character and Zoe Deschanel's character in that he's a very he's a very strange person in the movie because he is all about Christmas and I don't know if it's just like his his love of Christmas is so infectious that she that, that her defenses are worn down mm. and finally she's like okay we can we can get together. Hmm. Hmm. Especially since the, I, I think the first scene in which either the first scene or one of the first scenes that they interact, she is showering at the department store employee shower, and she is singing a Christmas tune, and he is lured into the bathroom by by her siren song, and he sits atop a the bathroom sink and very quietly very timidly sings along to her christmas song until finally it reaches a pitch that she realizes that there is somebody else in the bathroom with her and it's also like five in the morning i think and she's more oh i mean she's not okay with it but she's more okay with it than i feel like she needed to be mm mm-hmm Yes, yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like it's unsettling because it's not exclusively that he's toxically positive or toxically pro-Christmas. He's functionally a, a child. He's yeah, like a right. man he's child. He's got this arrested development because of the f- fucked up way that people are raised in the North Pole, I guess. That, that's something it's not else. clear because it seems like all the other adult elves have adult human qualities and that they yeah. sort of they have like emotional intelligence and and capacity to read the room and and things like that and and buddy just never really gets to that place yeah and like i don't know it's not clear why yeah and i and i don't know if it's something to do with like maybe they just age at a different rate mm, could be. <laughs> that could be it they're all it, thousands of years old i mean bob new the trauma bob newhart's self is uh consistently old throughout Mm. but yeah so there's that and then also the whole reason that Buddy embarks on this journey from the North Pole to New York City to find his dad 
the whole reason for that is because he's not good at elf stuff. But then he gets to this department store when he finds out that Santa's coming. Mm-hmm. Not realizing this. Actually, Artie Lang and not uh, the real Santa. And he he decorates the place just ostentatiously. He decks those halls. He he decks the shit out of those halls. He jingles those bells. He jingles them just jangles. All over the place. And the thing is, it's it's to the, the level of quality that I would expect like an elf to pull off. But it seems like it seems like he's good at that at least. Like he can't he can't put together an etch a sketch in in the the recommended time according to the, the the handbook of elves. The standards for human capitalism are yeah. much lower than the standards for elf capitalism. That's, Elfin capitalism. That could be. And I mean he he does do it overnight without a a, a, a wink of sleep. I think he ate much- all that chocolate spaghetti. <sighs> That's true. He he did pour a lot of chocolate sauce on that spaghetti. I have a lot of questions after, you know, the Santa Claus and Elf back to back and just kind of hearing about these universes and just, you know, once again, hearing about the the Christmas multiverse, uh, mm. like elves are like, at least in the Christmas multiverse are like superior uh, to humans labor wise in like every shape and form like they can work. You know, 365 days out of the year, they might get one or two days off. We don't know, depending on their labor laws. But, like, why are they doing this? We never learned the elf backstory. And even well, we have an opportunity. They, they, yeah, they exactly. Live for it. They live well, for it. Let's make it clear. Structured hierarchical labor is not inherently capitalistic. And if we look at what they are creating, what they are producing. God damn it. The elves are not capitalists, right? They're not like they're not using these means of production to secure profit, right? Here for this, it analysis. is it is not so it's not owned by the workers. So this is a sort of like weird alien situation we need to to look at. But you could say that right, their labor like they're doing their labor for the love of it, right? which is sort of the ideal of a, of a socialist system, right? Like your labor is inherently connected to you. Except, and, except that the, what they are paid in is prestige. They are paid in recognition. But who gets all the recognition, Ethan? Tim Allen. <laughs> Not to step on Doug's elf toes, but... If you, <laughs> Don't, my dainty elf toes. The Grinch. If you want to experience a Christmas story that involves elf narrative, then you should watch Klaus, the Netflix special, because it does discuss the origin of the elves and it discusses the origin of their work ethic. And it has to do with the central theme of that movie, which is every good deed sparks another. Oh, so so I'm actually very interested in elf discourse right now. Um, Spoiler alert. The backstory for the elves is that they are the Sami who are the indigenous people of of Scandinavia. 
Oh no! Not well. I that is also what I said. I also said, "Oh no!" But it's, I I don't know. When I came out of the movie on the other end, I was like, maybe not. Oh no! But probably still. Oh well, no! Well, your initial reaction, like you, should, you need to be, you need to be talked down, and the movie. Yeah, my gut down. reaction was definitely, "Oh no!" Right. <laughs> but anyway, I, I I'm interested now. I need to. I need to watch this film. I'm. I'm. Yeah. All right. I know in the Kurt Russell Santa movie, they're all little furry monsters. Hmm. That's it. So I will say uh, I have never seen Elf the movie, actually. Um, never. And it, it sort of fits that space of like what f- the, the TV show Friends does and that like everyone adores it. And I can't really see the appeal because I, I have no like personal experience in any commercial I see. It just looks kind of annoying. Yeah. Like Will Ferrell pretending to be a child, like it, it's weird yeah. to me. I think I should watch it. I don't know. The Santa Claus and the 2000 Grinch fill that space for me, where like everyone else adores Elf. Well, I uh, think it. I think it strikes the same vibe as kind of the. Uh, you have a, a strong personality kind of carrying this film. It's very much like the 2000 Grinch, where, which you know is carried by Jim Carrey's personality. And you kind of recognize him through it if you've if you've been a connoisseur of Jim Carrey media like I have. Um, Why did Will Ferrell need to fuck in the movie? I mean, it's an, it's an implied fuck. Yeah, but you know, like I like, mean, I, apparently because a a child is produced, at the right? Movie. So like, no, you got to contend with that because right. it's about the not gays, Ethan. You know it. Mm-hmm. You know what it is. That's, mm-hmm. It's truly that's true. The spirit of Christmas is the idea that emotionally stunted man children can get the girl in the end oh, through the Santa vibes, through the Santa vibes, and just an, uh, a pure work ethic. Yeah, I get. Yeah, that is kind of degenerate, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he is an industrious uh, character. I, I will give him that. Uh, he also the class in himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's yeah, we got the Grinch class. We got the Buddy class. Maybe Buddy class and then Grinch class. I don't. I'm where on the spectrum of Buddy to Grinch is Tim Allen? <laughs> Transcendent. Uh, Tim Allen is dead. There is only Santa Claus. <laughs> Have you seen Home Improvement? <laughs> yeah, right. Blame. <laughs> But anyway, all right. So, Doug, was there anything else for, that you would like to give us for the, for uh, Elf? Story? I we'll did. I that. watch this movie. You should watch. Yeah, no, you it's good. Watch. I enjoy it. Yeah. Like, um, unless you vehemently hate Will Ferrell, which I don't. I no, think I, it's funny. Okay. I love okay. Will Ferrell. That's the thing. I, yeah, I that's the thing. He's charming. This particular character of his, though, just kind of wears on me. Mm. Also. There's it's a that li- innocence there's... vibe too, you know, like you see his naivety like just disappear through the film, yeah. but he becomes a full person by the end of it, and he's been stunted not because Will Ferrell's a man child, which he is, you know, respect Will Ferrell, but that's who you portray in every. I mean, film. I'm sure Will um, Ferrell the person is not a man child, right? Right. Uh, he's, right. A, he's a serious actor. He's a serious uh, actor, uh, but no, um, I don't remember where I was going with that, but. You should There's also uh, little people jokes with uh, the king oh, himself, that's right. Peter Dinklage. Oh shit! Who that's plays? Right. He, uh, he beats the shit out of him too. Yeah, which is great. He, he, gets, he plays. <laughs> he plays uh, he a, a little bit of that children's cream. literature author. Right. With I don't even know how to describe it. He's got like Wall Street energy. Right. Oh, so, yeah, like, yeah. Like 
high-powered business. Yeah, yeah like this right. is the movie that put Dinklage in in the tier that allowed him, you know, to get Game of Thrones to get the, and, yeah, and his right. other roles. And like, I wonder like, if Peter Dinklage would agree with that assessment. <laughs> I think he would because before that, like, let's email this episode to him. Yeah, dear right? Peter Dinklage, would you agree? Well, the thing is, is he's actively like beating the shit out of somebody stereotyping him. So yeah. like he's he's got that like Wall Street energy, like, no, fuck you. Like I've I've proven myself. I don't need you to like demean me. I will kick he, your ass. And then he, he does. And specifically it's great. defends himself by saying how much he fucks. <laughs> he does. He, he straight does. up does. <laughs> Listen, I get more action. Oh my god, it's like a Ben Stiller character. Right. <sighs> Jesus Christ. I keep thinking, what about Elf starring Ben Stiller? That would be disturbing because Ben Stiller energy is this kind of... It's too volatile, right? Yeah, too it's violent. violent. Yeah, it's a violent energy. Yeah. Like Will Ferrell is wacky, but not like... Right. He's, not He's wacky, but safe. Yeah. He's wacky, but he can evoke the childish energy. And He's like... like He's like Goten to Ben Stiller's Vegeta, right? Thank you. Yes, we all needed that comparison, that allegory. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> I also feel like Ben Stiller's not gangly enough. He's he yeah, just he's too small. Yeah, he's 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 stocky. He's too small, right? but also too uh, sculpted. Could you imagine mm-hmm. like Ben Stiller <laughs> getting the Santa Claus treatment? You know, um, I don't know if I can see it. The thing no, is, I Ben can't. Stiller's always ripped. Um, yeah, yep. he's, he's always in shape. Um, but anyway, we're talking about language. We're talking about the evolution of the Santa Claus and all these wonderful puns. Uh, let's turn a noun into a verb and let's get Scrooged. Let's do that. Um, I've, I've been Scrooging all day, guys. <laughs> all right. And so essentially, Horrible. let's talk about originally the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol, right? So, because that's what Scrooge is based off of. So you have the, the original, uh, what year was it? made it was 1843 charles dickens was deeply influenced by himself having to deal uh with the trauma of child labor after his dad was committed to a uh, debtor's prison so he had to work in a shoe factory that left him uh with deep personal and social outrage so through this uh young trauma when he was at the age of 12 uh, charles dickens basically wrote uh about uh, child labor and you know class for the rest of his life in various forms, which is how we get the original uh, A Christmas Carol, which is all about a rich fuddy-duddy or asshole that hoards his wealth and you know uh, isolates himself from his community. He is eventually warned by a, the spirit of a former partner that has already been punished, and then he is visited then by three immortal Christmas spirits. Uh, one of past, one of present, one of future. If you haven't seen it, I recommend A Muppet Christmas Carol and I recommend Scrooge. Those are my two favorites. You got to represent the two best. Ultimately, he realizes the glory of giving and uh, what that can do for yourself and the community. Also, you know, fuck altruism. Uh, I don't want to go to hell. So let's uh, make sure that we give back to the community, which is ultimately the moral of the story. I imagine most of the listeners have seen some form of A Christmas Carol because it is reiterated more and more and more. It was originally, you know, kind of this commentary of class and social inequality, but it turned into a bedtime story, especially around Christmas time, because as parents had children, 
of their own after kind of seeing their own parents like read and experience the story, it becomes this, this family cultural experience. And so we start seeing over and over these reiterations of A Christmas Carol. And I really, really like Scrooge. And the reason I chose this is because, God damn it, I want A Christmas Carol, but I want it to be 2020. I want to see a, a class commentary where somebody learns the value of, you know, contributing to the community and philanthropy and like also just all of the horrors of, you know, dying a rich asshole, which, you know, there aren't many except, you know, your legacy being, you know, driven through the mud and maybe you're tortured eternally, uh, hopefully. But what I want to see is this film kind of reborn. But the closest we get is the the beautiful, beautiful 1988 version starring Bill Murray. Uh, this film's older than you might think. It shows up on a lot of, you know, like TNT or TBS, mm -hmm. whoever has the rights to Scrooge, because it's not the classic that like A Christmas Story is or a Santa Claus is, which, you know, Disney owns. It's one of the, the forgotten ones. We were rewatching this and I started seeing over and over the same actors and actresses from Lethal Weapon start popping up. Uh, yeah, that's, that's because <laughs> this film is directed by Richard Donner. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, this film owns. And uh, what's really great is this was uh, this came out a year before *Lethal Weapon 2*. And uh, what you see in multiple scenes are posters or stickers uh, denouncing apartheid in South Africa, which, uh, if you know your *Lethal Weapon* lore, and I do. Yeah, Lethal Weapon 2, the villains are uh, white South Africans that are pro-apartheid. So, you know, as you watch Mel Gibson blow racist South Africans away in Lethal yeah. Weapon 2, a lot of that was, uh, you know, stewing in Richard Donner's brain while he was making this film. Mm. And he has a little, mm. little Easter eggs in there. You see, like, the therapist uh, for, uh, for the police department. She's one of the uh, sub-CEOs, uh, whatever you would call that, vice-CEOs. She's in the room at the table, right, where you see Bill Murray just yelling at people because Bill Murray uh, plays the uh, classic, like, uh, television CEO. Um, so he's playing a Ted Turner type, and we kind of get those same vibes that we got from Gremlins 2, which we do get later, whenever we get uh, John Glover as Bryce Cummings, but John Glover comes back as Clamp! in Gremlins 2, where he plays in a, an amalgamation of both Ted Turner and Donald Trump. And just like leaving forward to now, like if I could get a Christmas Carol like done today, I would want Scrooge to be Donald Trump. Like if you want to think of the most irredeemable mm. like, piece of shit mm. to, no, seriously though, like who deserves it? Who deserves- I'm mulling the, it over, I'm Right, like who deserves the the, the hell experience of being visited before death's doorstep is approaching um, to recognize like, oh wait, I was a piece of shit my whole life. Maybe I should actually care about others. And like, that's the whole point. And one of the really great things about it is Bill Murray kind of settles into the role of being the rich asshole. And like the best parts of Bill Murray are him just being a dick to people. As he just kind of exudes his power over folks, there is a, a long scene where he fires uh, uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite. Oh shit, yeah, 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 I remember yeah. this. His name in the film is Elliot Loudermilk. 
And he's like, the milkman is gone. Like, as he like fucking removes him within like 20 minutes. And like, you see Elliot calling his significant other and saying like, hey, you we gotta have, do the voice. Yeah, do the body. We gotta, we gotta find like a new place to live, honey. And yeah. then, right. And so we have that uh, wonderful subplot. But as you see, kind of the uh, Scrooge experience get updated to the 1980s, like super wealthy TV CEO experience. You get the same beats, right? He's visited by three ghosts. So you have. Uh, David Johannesson, uh, who plays a really greasy cab uh, cab driver as the Ghost of Christmas Pass. Wonderful. <laughs> I remember Lovely. now, yeah. Uh, you get Carol King, so who literally beats the shit out of Bill Murray. They had to take a break in production where, like, she grabs him by the lip in one scene. Apparently, she tore, like, his lip away from, like, his <laughs> jaw in that scene. And they had to take, like, a couple days because, you know, like, that, that shit hurts. Uh, she plays mm-hmm. the Ghost of Christmas Present. And the Ghost of Christmas Future, uh, uh, played by Robert Hammond, he, he doesn't talk. His face is a TV screen. Right, is, he's like a hideous ghoulish shroud, right? He like is. He he has literal ghouls inside him. <laughs> yeah. It's a really cool, like, that was scary as a kid. No, like and that's the, what's the really suffering great. suffering souls inside him. Uh, because what's really interesting is, like, the critical reception to Scrooge is that the way we see A Christmas Carol now is it's kind of a family story about the importance of giving and the importance of being part of your community. But like Charles Dickens wrote it as like a critique for, for the capitalist. Right. And so like this shit was supposed to be a warning. And what I really, really appreciate about Scrooge is that Bill Murray uh, plays Frank Cross. So it's not even, he's not even playing Ebenezer Scrooge because he's getting Scrooged. Right. Like, The implication here being that this is a process that happens every now and then to someone deserving of it. And I love that. Mm. Like, it's not just for one person. It comes again and again. And if you if you deserve it, you get scrooged. Wait, so Bill Murray is aware of the narrative of a Christmas story while he is experiencing a Christmas story? Oh, absolutely. The The plot of the film is that he is forcing his uh, his TV network to show a live rendition of Scrooge. Yeah, okay. Yeah. to the the mass public and he's kind of forcing them all to work on christmas eve uh because of ratings and he even has an ad at one point that is like threatening folks that if you do not watch our live version of a christmas carol like the world will end and there's even a gag at one point in the film where they see the ad where there's like murder in the streets there's nukes taking out cities unless you see a christmas carol and a woman dies of a heart attack while watching this ad. <laughs> <laughs> and and Frank Cross, Bill Murray is like, they, they show him like, we told you you shouldn't have done this. Look, it's on the front page. A woman has died. And Frank Cross's response is, is like, you can't pay for adverti- advertisement like this. You cannot pay for this. This is exactly what I wanted. People are terrified. They're definitely going to tune in. And then he talks about stapling antlers to a dormouse um, because... Mm-hmm, right. You got to get a little bit of that pet play in there, baby. That's the thing. Wow, it what is, a horrible, horrible thing. It is, it is in the film. Oh, God. Where, where his, like, Frank's boss wants him to have a little pet appeal uh, in there. Uh, got to so, have an animal. Because eventually they talk about how they can capitalize that 
the average cat or dog in the American household watches a certain percentage of television. And so they need to have moments that cater to this audience, which is fantastic. I love this film. Um, but the thing that I really love about that film, and if you've listened to any of the episodes that preceded this one, is the fact that this has such a dark tone to it. And I really feel like the original A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, it was meant as a warning. It was meant to be impending doom for the capitalists that stopped giving a shit about his community. So there is a scene where not only does uh, Frank Cross have to confront the frozen corpse of a homeless man that he denied a couple bucks uh, to, to stay warm for the night, he also gets burned alive in his own coffin while he's being cremated mm -hmm. while experiencing Ghost of Futures Past. This film is very dark, and I think that sets a lot of people off. They don't want to watch a dark film during Christmas. But I feel like at the same time, that's kind of the point. The whole idea of A Christmas Carol is to say that like this is the time of year we should where we shouldn't be thinking about ourselves. We should be thinking about others. And since we still live in a dystopian capitalist society, there should be people who should be given a, uh, a very firm warning by supernatural ghosts or maybe the, uh, you know, lower classes, uh, TM. I would really, really love to see Scrooge brought into the 2020, like, like we're not gonna get one this year, but like in 2022, that would be really great. I don't know, I love this film. Has any anyone else watched this? I have, so this is a movie that I've all, I, I watched a lot of it in bits on like, tbs or whatever um and i always liked it as a kid because it was like one of the first grown-up movies i saw where i was like wow movies can be long i always was like amazed at how long the movie was um and how much stuff was in it and it is like it's not a horror movie per se but it has a lot of like very striking imagery like the the crowley character is like a withered corpse right even even the Ghost of Christmas Present, which is like the Glinda the Good uh, Sugar Plum Fairy, is like kind of gaunt and, and spooky looking. Like, it's a very interesting and uniquely stylized movie that also, looking back at it now, has that sort of like sleazy 80s feel to it, which is kind of interesting, especially when you consider the, the Lethal Weapon tie-in. <laughs> um yeah, no, I really like this movie. I think I'm going to watch it again now that you've sort of like reminded me of it because it is very unique. A movie of its time and place. And it is a like a Bill Murray vehicle too, right? Like showcasing a certain character in a certain time. And I think that's very interesting. He took like a four-year break between this and Ghostbusters. So this was like his big like comeback, comeback right? to film. And the film was heavily marketed with him as the, the major character. He was like a big guy, right? Yeah. It was initially well-received, but then eventually uh, folks really started to kind of pan it because of their, like, this is too dark. But like I said, I think we need Christmas films that don't fall into the true horror spectrum, like Black Christmas, which there is no, there's no theme there. It's just murder. The theme is murder. <laughs> um, and fear what directed but, by the guy that directed a christmas story absolutely and so like 
I really like rewatching this. I really appreciated the special effects. There's a lot of really great practical effects in the film. Mm-hmm. Like instead of his business partner, he has the former CEO of his company. Yeah, that's the warning. It. And what he does in the film is he picks Bill Murray up by the throat, phases him through the glass of his like corner office, and then doesn't let him go. Bill Murray keeps hitting his arm and eventually the arm of his zombie Rips off. gives way and just breaks clean off. I love that. I love that it's scene. Pretty, I it's love pretty it. grotesque. It's I love pretty it gro- grotesque. Yeah. At one point, there's a golf ball in the zombie corpse that like falls out because you know he's like you know a rich white guy that plays golf mm-hmm. and he had a heart attack on the golf course. Like he gets punished because of what he did, and so he has to live as a zombie golfer for the rest of his days. Bill Murray gives kind of a manic performance, especially during the end of the film, where he gives his come to Jesus speech on live television. He was personally in the reviews criticized for like, this feels like a guy just kind of going off while the cameras were rolling. And so, yeah, I don't know. I love Scrooge. I want more of it. I want to watch it again. (laughs) And uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. And filthy animals. God bless us, everyone. I do think that before we sign off, we should have a moment of silence for Zach, who could not be with us today. Right. He had to spend time with his family. He had to do actual Christmas activity. Right. Zach hates Christmas movies, but he does love Elf, and he was not here to (laughs) fight with Doug about Elf. Fight for Elf's virtue. It would have been been a throwdown of the century. So may, may his... Arguments in favor of Elf resonate in all of our hearts, despite our inability to hear them. I think because he's not here, though, I win by default. So, <laughs> so sorry, Zach. Absolutely. Elf sucks. Yeah, Elf, elf is shit. Sorry, Elf. Why is Elf pissed? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs>